All right, yeah, we can clap for that. Uh, it was a great day. If you missed it, uh, go back and listen to the podcast. You can watch our, our service on Facebook Live on our Facebook page. You can go back and revisit the celebration. Uh, you can't go back and revisit the face painting, so sorry about that one. Uh, but maybe find somebody else. Face, face paint uh, your life away. Uh, Man, it was so fun to celebrate. We had so much to look back on. Five years full of God's work in and through and around us. But if you were here, you know it wasn't just looking back and reflecting on. It was, it was moving forward and excited about the next season, the next five years, and, and how many stories we're going to be able to celebrate and see in a video like that at our 10-year celebration. And a lot of you are going to be a part of that in ways you don't even know yet. And a lot of people outside these four walls, that's what we get excited about the most, are going to be a part of God's story through Phoenix Bible Church, and we don't even know them yet, and you don't either, but God does. Amen? And so God is up to something special at Phoenix Bible Church. I'm excited uh, for this next season to see how it all plays out in and through and around us. Uh, As we do start this next season, we started off talking about sex. So there's that. Um... Love and sex is today. It's the fifth part of our series, What is Love? We've talked about love and marriage and conflict and communication. Today is love and sex. And I know as I say that word sex, some of you get really uncomfortable. Right? You're like, where is this going to go? And some of you, like, this is your first time at church in a while, and you're asking your buddy, like, is this what they talk about all the time? (laughs) And just to be clear, no, it's not. Right? No, it's not. But we do talk about it. Here's a couple reasons why right off the top. We talk about sex because the Bible talks about sex. If you've ever thought the Bible is not relevant, you've never read it, right? Read 1 Corinthians, read Song of Solomon, read Proverbs. We're going to read some of those passages, and you're going to see the Bible talks about sex. Right in the very beginning of our Bible, we see naked and unashamed. What do you think that means, right? God officiates the first wedding. God created sex. He addresses sex, so we're going to as well. That's the first reason why we talk about this at times. The second reason why we talk about this is our culture talks about this all the time, every day, every billboard, every commercial, everything you look up on Amazon Prime. I was searching Spider-Man for my kids to watch it last night, and Spider-Woman came up. And don't, don't look that up, all right, guys? Don't look that up because it's not good. But I was just typing spider, and it's just like sex is, is preaching to me as a husband, as a father, with my kids in the room. Sex is preaching to you every day at work, on the radio, in our culture. Sex is preaching to us all the time without a Bible and not inside of a church. And so we need to talk about it with the Bible inside a church and see what is God's design for sex. And listen, just side note, parents in the room, your kids are talking about sex in grade school. And some of you think, no, Tim, not my, not my little angel. Like, they would never... And listen, they're at least hearing about sex. And what we tell, I'm a father of three. What we tell our kids is, listen, we are the experts on sex. We've actually had it, and that's how you got here. Uh, the internet, it doesn't know what it's talking about. Like your friend in class, she doesn't know what she's talking about. You have questions about sex, you come to us, we're the experts. And as a dad has two daughters, I try not to be shocked in those conversations. Right? Why? Because I want them to come to me. Parents, you define from the Bible what sex is, how it works, what it's for, not the internet, not our culture, and not their friends in class. You need to have this conversation. Some of you got some homework to do after this sermon. All right, so we're going to talk about sex, love and sex. Grab a Bible. We're going to do it with our Bibles. 1 Corinthians 7, head to your New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Uh, we're parachuting in here, so I'm just going to give you a brief download of what's happening here. This is the Apostle Paul writing to believers in the city of Corinth. Uh, The city of Corinth, really similar to modern-day America. It was a society built on the culture of free sexual expression. And, And Paul is writing to believers here who many of them were following Jesus with their spirituality, but many of them had left behind their sexuality. And they said, yeah, we'll pray and we'll, we'll do those things, we'll read our Bible and those things, but our sexuality, that's, that's kind of ours and we'll do our own thing. So Paul, you're going to see 1 Corinthians 6 actually as well as chapter 7, he's going to confront them about their sexuality. He's going to talk about uh, God's design for sexuality. So we're going to see that together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at the text with me. Our first point, if you do take notes, is flee distortion, flee distortion. 
1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now, here's what's happening. Paul is, is writing this, but he first starts out, verse 1, look at that verse, writing about what somebody else wrote to him. That one of the Corinthian Christians had written to Paul this statement, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Picture a conversation. Verse 2, Paul responds to that statement and says, hey, because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, be physically intimate with her. Each woman should have her own husband. And Paul begins to talk about one of the reasons that you should have sex in marriage is to protect against sexual immorality. We're going to go on to talk about this a little bit more. But you see that term, that phrase, sexual immorality. It's the same term that Paul uses right before this, chapter 6, verse 18, when he says, flee sexual immorality. It's the same phrase that we see 60 plus times in our New Testament. And here's what you got to understand. Paul could have used lust. The New Testament could have used more often lust, or he could, it could have just used adultery. Why does he use sexual immorality? Why is that 60 plus times? Why is it in chapter 6, flee this? Why is it also, hey, because of this temptation in chapter 7, why is it sexual immorality? Because that word in the original language is the word porneia. It's where we get, you can probably guess, pornography. And it's a junk drawer term. It's an all-encompassing term because, listen, Paul knew God knows about them. What he knows about us is that if, if he were just to say lust, that we can put that in a category. If he were just to say adultery, we can put that in a category. Well, I, I don't know if I've done that, but, but Paul says sexual immorality, porneia, because it's an all-encompassing phrase to include any sexual sin outside of marriage between a man and a woman. So everybody always wants a list. You want a list? I'm going to give you a short one, but this is not all-encompassing, but here's a few things on this list. This is things like premarital sex, like adultery, like lustful thoughts, like pornography, like homosexuality. That, that pornea is this word, this all-encompassing sexual immorality, anything outside of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. Paul says, that's what you are to flee in chapter 6. Paul says, chapter 7, that's what, because of that temptation, oh, you actually should have sex with your, your wife, with your spouse. And so Paul says, flee this porneia, this sexual immorality. And some of you, maybe this is your first time in a church in a long time, and you're thinking, here we go. I mean, Tim, this is what I heard my whole life. Like, sex is bad, ignore your desires, like, just stay far away, like, don't listen to, to, to secular radio, don't go to radar movies, like, you might get something on you. And some of you are thinking, Tim, this is typical repressive Christianity, right? Like, this isn't new, like, like just flee sexual immorality. But notice, Paul says, 1 Corinthians six eighteen, flee sexual immorality. He doesn't say flee sex. He's going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 7, hey, you should have sex. The Bible's pro-sex. God is, is pro-sex. He's not anti-sex. It wasn't the devil's idea. Right? We always lump together like sex, drugs, rock and, roll, rock and roll, like the devil did all that. Like, no, I mean, drugs, I don't know about rock and roll. I mean, it just depends on what kind of music you like. But like, like definitely not sex. Like God created sex. From the very beginning, we see that. Naked and unashamed, he, he created your bodies. He, he didn't look around with Adam and Eve or, or on into 2019 and say, oh my gosh, I did not realize like that does that. Like that body part does that to that body part. Like, oh, what did I do? God's not shocked by sex. It was his idea, right? And so Paul says, Flee sexual immorality, not flee sex. You see, I think this is one of the greatest confusions when it comes to church and Christianity in terms of misconceptions. Like we think, like, well, God's anti-sex. And, and listen, it would be like if I were to say, I hate drunk driving. And you were to respond to me and say, Tim, what do you got against cars? I mean, what, you don't like cars? And, 
And I was like, no, no, back on up. Like, see, I love cars. I love trucks. I love minivans. Amen? <laughs> like, I love, I love cars. And precisely because I love cars, I hate the misuse of them. And I hate it when people hurt themselves and they hurt other people by misusing cars. Right? It would be like if I said, hey, I hate child abuse. And you were to say to me, Tim, what do you got against kids? I mean, have you seen my kid? She's so cute. Like, what do you got against kids? And I would say, no, 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 I love your kid. Like, children are created in the image of God with inherent dignity and worth. They, they, they are gifts from the Lord, Scripture says. I love kids, and it's precisely why I hate child abuse. Because I love kids so much, I don't want to see them hurt. That pains me to see them hurt. Listen, God loves sex, and God loves you so much that he hates it when you destroy your life with a distortion of it, right? So God loves sex. God created it, but he hates the distortion of it. And so that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee. And some of you are thinking, Tim, that is kind of strong. We see in Proverbs chapter 5, keep far away. And, and maybe you, you feel that. And you're like, that's just in all sexual sin and all temptation, like just flee, keep far away. Like, is that even possible to do? That seems so strong. And you need to know that's a strong response to a strong sin. That if you're going to fight sexual immorality, if you're going to flee, you need to know what you're up against. And the Bible clearly states it. We see it in our culture, but we also see it in Scripture. That sexual sin is both deceptive and destructive. It's deceptive. Proverbs chapter 5, this chapter that talks about sex, both the design of sex but also the distortion of sex, listen to what it says. Proverbs 5 verse 3. It says, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. That's not a specific woman. That's the idea, the symbolic of sexual sin. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall. She is sharp as a double-edged sword. You see, sexual sin, the temptation for it, the reason you have to flee it is because it will seem sweet like honey but it will cut you like a double-edged sword. Right? It will seem enticing, but it will bring pain. And you know this, right? That sexual sin doesn't come at you directly, it comes at you deceptively. Sexual sin doesn't say like, hey, come to this icky, gross, dirty thing and ruin your life, right? If it did say that, all of us would be like, no, I don't want to ruin my life. Thank you. Like, I'm going to go to church, right? But that's not what happens. Why? Because sexual sin says, hey, come. This is going to be exciting. This is going to make you feel alive like you've never felt alive in your life. Just come. It's, it's going to say, hey, just come. It's just physical. Like it's not, you can follow Jesus, read your Bible, pray. This is just physical. It's just something you do with your bodies. And it will just say, hey, come just do something physical. Hey, just come escape. Hey, you deserve this. You've had a long week. You have a lot of responsibility. People don't appreciate you. Everything you do is to serve somebody else. Why don't you get served? This person appreciates you. Just go over in the corner. Nobody will know. And it's deceptive, not direct. That's why so many people, Fall, not flee, in sexual immorality, right? It's deceptive. It's not direct. We see it's also destructive. Proverbs 5, 5. It says, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. A little later, verse 8 and 9, it says, you will lose your honor and your dignity. Verse 11, at the end of your life, you'll groan. You'll groan with regret. Verse 14, that it puts you at the brink of utter ruin. And listen, I've seen this, you've seen this, not just with public figures, but with personal friends, right? You've seen this, that what seems like it's gonna taste like honey, it does cut like a double-edged sword. It ruins people's lives, right? I saw this several years ago with a friend of mine, a leader in the church who was married and had three kids, and godly guy pursuing Jesus, 
But if, he's, if he was honest then, and he's definitely honest about it now, he did not flee, he flirted. And there was another woman who was also married, who also had kids. And just for a while, he didn't flee. Hey, it's just, it's just talking. Hey, it's just, no, there's nothing really there. Like, I just go one more time. And, and just, it didn't just happen in a moment. They stumble into sex with one another. It would happen over time, not fleeing, but instead flirting just a little bit, just, just accept, it just feels nice, it just, she makes me feel special, and just over time, and then one moment at night, in a moment of weakness, they both caved and committed adultery. Now, this guy was a godly guy. The next morning, he woke up. The first thing he did was repent to his wife, to other people in our church, God reconciled their marriage. Listen, if that's you today, maybe you're thinking, Tim, I've already gone too far. I've already messed up, even last night. God can bring healing and forgiveness. I've seen it. This was several years ago. They're still married. They still have their three kids. But I'll be honest with you, there's forgiveness, but there's also consequence. And there was pain, and there still is pain on occasion. God renews, God restores, God heals, yes. But there was pain, and it's unnecessary pain. Listen, so many times I met with him for the next couple years, and so many times I would hear him say it, but I would also see it in his face, and he would just say, like, all the time, hey, if I could just, if I could just roll back the clock, if I could just replay those decisions, and he would talk about, like, I know I can't do that, but I just, man, I just, I think about it all the time, like, if I could just go back, but I can't. And he experienced pain, and he experienced destruction, because that's what sexual sin does. It will come at you deceptively, but make no mistake, it's not sweet. It will destroy you, and not just you. I, wife, three kids, the other lady was married, had kids. It will bring destruction. We see that in Scripture. We see that in life. And so, yeah, Paul says, flee. Proverbs 5 says, you keep far away. You don't manage it. You're not strong enough to think, well, I'll just get close as I can to the line, and I'll not cross over that line. You are not the exception, right? You run. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 39 in our Old Testament, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. If you know the story, Potiphar's wife, she comes on to Joseph, and as you read that, what does Joseph do? Does he think hey, she's flirting with me, she's a person of power, maybe of influence, like I can get ahead. If she likes me, wow, like that's a big deal. And you start to get excited about, hey, somebody's showing me affection and attention. Does he start letting his mind wander? Does he get as close as he can to Potiphar's wife and just think, well, I'm just gonna, what's the line, God? Is it petting? Is it kissing? Is it like hugging? Like what's, what's can I, how close, flirting, how close can I get to the line and not cross it? How, how can I show, I'm Joseph, I'm in the Bible. I'm a man of God. I'm gonna show this woman that I'm strong. Like I'm not like all these other idiots, like the men who can't keep it in their pants. Like I, I'm strong, like I'm Joseph. I will, I will get as close to this sexual sin as possible and then I will resist it and show everybody and teach everybody how righteous I am. Is that what he does? No. Genesis 39 says he runs. He runs. Because Proverbs 5 says you keep far away. 1 Corinthians 6 says you flee sexual immorality. It's a strong sin to be tempted to. You're not the exception. You flee it. That's what scripture calls us to do, to flee distortion because it's deceptive and it's destructive. Here's what's interesting about our day. I'm not the only one preaching this to you, right? Proverbs, Paul, God, we're not the only ones preaching this to you right now. Our culture is beginning to preach this to you. They're finding out what the Bible wrote a couple thousand years ago that sexual sin, that sexual distortion, when you go away from God's design, that it is destructive. And so we're seeing studies now that show how casual sex, multiple partners, is leading to loneliness, depression, and even, this was really interesting, dependency. That these studies are finding that, hey, like, your, your momentary pleasure after momentary pleasure, seeking that casual sex, 
hooking up with a different partner every time, that you do that over and over and your body becomes desensitized and you need something more. And so oftentimes, casual sex, multiple partners, over the course of time, it leads to a dependency on a substance because you need a little bit more. You need a little bit more the next time and a little bit more the next time because that momentary pleasure is never enough. And studies are showing this is destructive. People are getting addicted to alcohol and drugs because of a distortion of sex. We see it with pornography, 15 states, including Arizona just this past year, have deemed pornography a public health crisis. It's the government. Separation between church and state. Government's not Christian. They're saying we got a problem. They're saying, hey, this actually, pornography, it decreases productivity. It decreases actual sex with another person. It increases anxiety. It makes us harder to talk with real people and be social. That people are growing up in a day where they don't know how to do that because they're on a screen the whole time. They don't know what a real woman or real man actually looks like because they're swiping through so many images of fake women and men. And it's brought destruction in our minds. And so 15 states are saying, hey, this, is, this has got to stop. we got to promote some education to teach people what this is really doing to our, not our next generation, to, to everybody in our world. We see it with studies that are showing that pornography actually normalizes the objectification of women, contributing to sex trafficking and sexual abuse. So much is coming out now about sexual abuse, and we're able to connect the dots of like, hey, those rated R movies and those sex scenes and the pornography that we think, well, that's just, that's kind of cool and romantic and just, you know, our culture kind of likes that. We love to be provocative. We're actually saying, hey, there's a, we can trace a line between if we objectify women in movies and life and conversation and images all the time, that that causes men to think they are objects. And I'll just, if they don't want to, I'll just abuse them. If they say no, like I'll just, maybe they said yes. Right? And we see a culture of sexual abuse that's now saying, hey, there's some roots of this that are not healthy. This is destructive. And so it's not just me preaching this to you. It's not just Paul. It's not just the Bible. It's not repressive Christianity. Our culture is echoing the words of Scripture. That sexual sin is not cool, it's not fun, it's not exciting, it does not make you feel alive, it brings death. It's deceptive, it's destructive. That what promised to liberate us has now devastated us. What promised to liberate us in our culture, sexual freedom. Yeah, if you feel like it, just go do it. It's not hurting anybody else. It's just you and, and your body. It's just physical. What promised to liberate us has now devastated us. It's enslaved us. And something is wrong. And so Paul is screaming to you right now. God is challenging you right now. Hey, I love sex so much. I love you so much. Don't distort it. Flee from it. Keep far away from it. Flee distortion. Now, what does this look like? Matthew 5, 29, Jesus says this. If your right eye causes you to sin, you tear it out. It's not literal, but it is figurative, and it is extreme to make a point. Hey, if that app is causing you to look at pornography, you might need to get rid of the app. If that device is causing you to look at pornography, you might need to put a filter on your device, accountability software. I use Covenant Eyes. It's very helpful. It sends what I look at on my devices to my spouse. And some of you think, well, that's kind of scary. I don't want to sign up for that. Yeah, but in moments of temptation, I think about that, and I flee, right? Some of you need to put up some guardrails in your life with devices, with technology. We live in a new age. Don't pretend like we don't, right? You need to put up guardrails in your life. You need to put up guardrails in dating. 
We're going to talk about dating, have a whole sermon on dating, a separate sermon on singleness. We're going to hit all this in a few weeks. I know it's challenging. You need to, if you're going to date somebody, if you are in a dating relationship now, one of the things you need to do, your homework today, later today, is have the awkward conversation of what clear boundaries are. You don't need to just think, hey, we'll probably just stumble into holiness. (laughs) We'll probably just stumble into purity. Because isn't that the way it works? You don't talk about it. You just think, hey, what do you want to do tonight? Hey, let's have a date night on your couch. Let's stay till midnight. Let's turn on a movie. Let's pull the blanket over us. Listen, if you're not tempted in that moment to commit sexual sin, you're probably not with the right person. (laughs) Right? You are lighting a match next to gasoline. If something doesn't blow up, maybe you're not attracted to them. Listen, why? God designed you to want to have sex with that person in that kind of moment. God put Adam and Eve in a beautiful, romantic garden with flowers because he knew they would have sex in that garden. They were naked and understood. That gets going to happen. If you get on that couch late at night, it's going to happen. You are not the exception. Draw some clear boundaries. Talk about, hey, we're not always going to be private. We're going to be in public sometimes in in private. We're going to have coffee with one another. It doesn't have to be a group every time. But we're going to be in public, in private. We're going to go out to dinner. We're not always, can you go in her house? Like, yeah, but we're not always going to, just like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I don't know. And then later things happen, right? Have clear boundaries. Put up some guardrails with your devices, with your relationships. If you're married, put up some guardrails with the opposite sex. Don't flirt with that girl till it gets serious. You notice, hey, there's some emotions here. It's not just, and some of you do this. You make the excuse, well, Tim, it is good for me, like outside of my wife, to have relationships with the opposite sex. Like I learn about the female, like I... I mean, it's just kind of educational for me, like it's good for me. And listen, that may be true for a lot of you and for you with a lot of other women, but it's not true with that one woman, and you know who that is. And the minute you feel that and sense that, that just tug towards that person, again, you don't just think, well, it's just conversation, Tim, it's just friendship, it's just flirting. No, you flee. You change desks. You switch gyms. That's really? That's kind of strong. The Bible is strong because sexual sin is strong because it's deceptive and it will destroy you. And you don't play around with it. You flee from it. You put some practical guardrails in your life. You do that with devices. You do that with people. You do that with places. You do that with things. And some of you right now, you can think. It doesn't take you long to know what those things are for you. And some of you, you may not like this. You may not like all the practical tips. I mean, Tim, for freedom, Christ has set us free. This seems like legalism. It's not legalism, it's wisdom. There's two whole books of our Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Proverbs and James. Wisdom. A lot of your Bible says, hey, do this, don't do that. You don't do that to become a Christian, but you do do those things to promote godliness, holiness in your life, spirit-empowered righteousness in your life. Put up some guardrails. It's not legalistic. It is wisdom. Now, I know this is heavy. Uh, It should be convicting for every person in this room, including myself, right? So if you're convicted, you're doing it right. And I know some of us are feeling like this right now. Uh, A while back, my wife uh, and our four-year-old daughter went to the doctor. And there was an old lady who uh, came up to them, and my daughter's really cute. So this happens a lot. This old lady comes up to my wife and my little four-year-old daughter, and she gets down on her knees right where she can be, right eye to eye with my daughter. And she says, hey, sweetie, how are you doing? Aren't you just so cute? And, of course, my little four-year-old daughter gives her the Heisman. Doesn't have, she's like, I don't want to have anything to do with this lady. Why are you all in my face? And, and, of course, my wife, moms, you can relate to this. My wife is like, Tanavi, that's my daughter's name. Tanavi, say hi to the lady. Like, just say hi to her. And then just a couple moments after that, the lady leans over to my wife and she says this. She says, hey, you know, you should probably not make your kid talk to strangers. And you know those moments where you think maybe there's some hidden cameras? 
She thought that. Right? Because it was like, listen, old lady, I didn't want to talk to you. Like, I didn't want my daughter to talk to you. You were the one who was all up in her grill, getting down on your knees, making her feel awkward. I didn't want to. I was just trying to be nice to you. And listen, my wife in that moment, she thought she was set up to fail. And some of you right now, that's what you're feeling. Because you're thinking, okay, it's destructive, it's deceptive, it's everywhere in our culture. Flee it, keep far away, dating, apps, movies, like you're looking it up on Amazon Prime. This is what, like, I feel set up to fail. Flee? That's all you got? No, we got some more. Second point. (laughs) Pursue design. Pursue design. You flee distortion, that's not it. God is gracious, sex is a gift. He calls you to pursue his design 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 3. It says this, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So as you look at that, Paul lays out, hey, you should should have sex with one another. He lays out some reasons. He talks about authority and who has authority over whose body. And don't get confused on that. What he's not talking about is, hey, you owe me sex. Hey, if I want to have sex, like, you need to do that with me no matter what. If you're not feeling it, wife, like, you just got to... That's not what he's talking about. What Paul is talking about is not depriving. That's what he says. Not withholding that from someone else, your spouse specifically. Don't withhold that on purpose. Don't use sex as a weapon to say, hey, no, I'm kind of frustrated with you. Like, until you do all these things, like, we're not, this ain't happening. Paul's saying, no, hey, you, you are one. It's not, he said, it's not your body. It doesn't belong to you. You belong to one another. This isn't your body. You belong to one another. You you give. It's not an owe me. Paul says at verse 3, the husband should what? Give. Likewise, the wife should give. This isn't an owe me. This isn't have sex and pressure and manipulation. This is Paul saying, hey, you are one. And part of that oneness is spiritual. Part of it's emotional. But part of it's sexual. And that's the beauty of marriage. And part of that protects you. He says, hey, take a break. Devote yourself to prayer, but quickly come back together again. Don't don't stay away too long. Again, sexual immorality, sexual sin is too strong. Come back together so the devil doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul says, hey, this is part of the design of marriage. You should participate in it as a married couple. It is good for you. Paul gets really practical that fleeing from distortion gets easier when you actively pursue God's design marriage. We don't just see that in 1 Corinthians 7. We see that in Proverbs chapter 5. Roll back to the same passage that we talked about a little bit earlier. All those warnings. Hey, keep far away from sexual sin. This is the same passage. You ready? Proverbs chapter 5. He gives us the design of sex to pursue. He says, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Listen, if you were reading that out loud in your room by yourself and somebody walked in, like your spouse, your roommate, and you were at like, hey, be intoxicated, let her breasts fill you, and somebody walks in, you would close your Bible. I mean, you'd be like, I promise, it's not 50 shades of gray, it's the Bible. It's Proverbs 5, I promise. Like, you can read it right now. This is in your Bible. Remember, God is not anti-sex, he's pro-sex the way he designed it. And he gives you that instruction. The Song of Solomon, God's example of romantic sexual love. Chapter 7, Solomon is talking to his wife. Listen to what he says. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 6, he says, How beautiful you are, how pleasant, my love, with such delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, your breasts are clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of his fruit, of this fruit. 
May your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the fragrance of your breath like apricots. Am I blushing right now? Can somebody, is the AC on? I mean, that, come on. That's in your Bible. Like, all scripture is profitable for teaching. And that's part of it, right? And some of you think, I've never even read this. Like, if my non-believing friends knew this was in the Bible, like, they would immediately repent and follow Jesus. And maybe you need to show them this and be like, listen, this is, God created this. God wrote this. Wouldn't you want to know that, God? Just use that as an evangelical tool, right? And some of you are thinking, okay, well, that's Tim, that's Solomon. What does the woman have to say? Like, she, she wasn't saying that kind of stuff. Just be ready. Solomon chapter, Solomon chapter 7, verse 9, this is the woman's response to Solomon. She says, your mouth is like fine wine flowing smoothly from my love, gliding past my lips and teeth. I belong to my love, and his desire is for me. Come, my love, let's go to the field. Let's spend the night among the henna blossoms. Let's go early to the vineyards. Let's see if the vine has budded, if the blossom has opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. If you're not catching that, she said, let's go to a field of flowers and make love together. Right? That's what she said. Trimper Longman, an Old Testament Christian conservative scholar, said this about these passages in Song of Solomon. He said, the Hebrew is quite erotic. Most translators cannot bring themselves to bring out the obvious meaning. They felt uncomfortable with those texts just like you just did, right? But they, they went on to translate them, and he said, hey, if you just look at it, there is no shy, shamed, mechanical movement under the sheets. Rather, the two stand before each other aroused, feeling no shame, but only joy in each other's sexuality. These are the kind of, of scriptures that talk about God's design for sex. That talk about how to pursue God's good design. Sex is a gift to pursue that within the confines of marriage. Within a space where it's, it's beautiful, it's glorious. It even points you to God with your spouse. It's not destructive. And we're going to see that laid out in scripture. And these types of scriptures are why scholars, as they do look at these scriptures, as, as pastors look at these scriptures, even in our day, are saying things like, here's a quote, sex is God's idea, and it's his good gift to be properly stewarded within his design. The church, therefore, should be the most pro-sex group there is. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, what, Tim, what hip, young, progressive pastor did you find to say that? The answer Dr. John Piper, retired 70-year-old pastor and author, says, hey, the church should be the most pro-sex group there is. Another hip, progressive, young, retired, old <laughs> pastor and author, Tim Keller, listen to what he says. God not only allows sex within marriage, but strongly commands it. His wife, the wife of a young Progressive, hip, retired. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. They're not young and progressive, right? This Christian conservative, Tim Keller, Kathy Keller, they wrote a book on marriage together. I would highly recommend it to you. Kathy Keller said this about sex and her marriage. She said, we came to realize that orgasm is great, especially climaxing together. But the awe, the wonder, the safety, and the joy of just being one is stirring and stunning even without that. And when we stopped trying to perform and started trying to simply love one another in sex, things started to move ahead. We stopped worrying about what we were getting and started to say, what can we do just to give something to the other person? See, sex can be a beautiful thing when it's used in God's design. You can pursue that design. It's not a God, but it's also not gross. It's a gift in the confines of marriage. And so you flee the distortion of it, of sexual sin, of pornography, of adultery, of lust. You flee it. But you run just as hard to God's design. It's beautiful. It's godly to do 
that. Last few things as we close. Three takeaways. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. It's really important that you get this. As we leave today, you need to decide to move from hiding and shocked in terms of your sexuality to honest and gracious. Many of us right now where you are today, you are in a place in regard to your sexuality to hiding. We don't talk about it. To me, Tim, you just said some words that made me feel really uncomfortable. Orgasm in church, really? And you like to hide. If I just don't talk about it, it's not really there. If I just don't talk about it, it's not a problem that my spouse and I really have. If I just don't talk about it, dating, single, then maybe I won't do it and I'll stumble into holiness. No. Stop hiding. Stop being shocked. God's not shocked by it. You shouldn't be either. Stop hiding and being shocked by it. Move from that place to a place of honesty and grace. Listen, every person in here, spoiler alert, every person in here, including myself, is human. We all breathe the same air. We all see the same commercials. We all see the same people. We're all part of this sex-crazed culture. Every person in here is like that. You are not, and don't believe the lie of Satan that's telling you, maybe even some of you right now, that, hey, I'm the only one that's experienced this sexual sin in this way. Everybody else is probably perfect in their sexuality. Everybody else is probably not tempted. That's a lie from Satan. The truth is, you're not the only one. You're not the first one. You are the 15th billion one to experience this. Why do you think 2,000 years ago, Paul, the Apostle Paul, before TV, before iPhones, before the internet, is saying, flee sexual immorality? Because it was a thing back then for them. Do you think it's not going to be a thing for you? It is. Don't be hiding about it. Don't be shocked by it. Be honest. Be gracious about it. My prayer for our church is this would be a place of honesty and grace, truth and love, that we would experience that because that's when things get brought to the light. You hide it. You think I can control this. I can manage it. It will destroy you. Scripture says you bring that into the light. You can experience healing and grace and forgiveness, and you can begin to pursue God's design for sex. So what if we just said today, married couple, what if you just said today, hey, roommate, hey, hey, community group, hey, we're going to move from a place of hiding and being shocked about this to a place of honesty and grace, because that's where the healing is found. Second thing, guardrails do not equal legalism. I mentioned this earlier. I gave you a lot of things. Like, hey, do this to your devices. Do this, like, flee from these people, these places. And some of you, you don't like that because you're like, Tim, I grew up in a legalistic church. That is not legalism. That is a guardrail that is wise, that is godly. Don't get confused between those things. And some of you are thinking, like, Tim, my my device, like, I got to be on these things. And listen, there's some practical ways, software, accountability, limiting your time, dating apps. You know there's dating apps, and then there's hookup apps. Stick to the dating apps, right? You know what a dating app, if I spend hours, just like anything, if I spend hours swiping through those images, you know what that does to your heart. Set a limit on that. Talk to your buddy and just say, hey, I don't want to do that all the time. Will you just ask me about that once a week? Like, how much time this week have you been swiping through those images on that dating app? That's probably not healthy for you. Listen, I'm not saying move to Queen Creek, churn your own butter. (laughs) I'm not saying, hey, everybody, we're not about to sing a song and everybody's going to bring their devices, your laptop, your device, and put it on the altar and burn it. We're not going to do that today, (laughs) right? What I am saying is put up some guardrails that promote wisdom and godliness in your life and do that with some other people you can trust. Join a community group. Start to make those relationships and start to walk in wisdom so you don't pursue deception and destruction. Save yourself from that. So guardrails are not legalism. They're good. Third thing, never stop pursuing your spouse. Never stop pursuing your spouse. Single people... We're going to talk about you in a few weeks, I promise. But just a little thing today, it is okay to pursue a mate. I've shared this before, but when I was in college and I was single, people told me, hey, it's like a race. And you don't really need to pursue another person. Don't worry about that. Don't date. All those things, kiss dating goodbye. 
you pursue Jesus and picture yourself running a race and you have a baton and you're just looking at Jesus and you're just praying and you're just fasting and you're just going to church, reading your Bible, doing the whole thing. And guess what? As you're looking ahead to Jesus, at some point you'll have the baton and you'll just look over and somebody will be pursuing Jesus just like you. And you'll just hand them the baton and then you'll get engaged and then you'll get married. And I remember at the time thinking, that is the dumbest piece of advice I've ever heard. And I still believe that. And, and listen, single people, dating people, on behalf of all Christians everywhere, I apologize to you for that analogy. It's not helpful. What else in life works like that? Hey, just, just pursue Jesus, go to church, read your Bible, and you'll stumble into a job. I don't, I don't know, Tim, I don't know. I was just like running and like pursuing Jesus. And the job was just like, hey, hire you. Let's give you a lot of money, 401k. <laughs> like I was, just, I was just pursuing Jesus and I just stumbled. I didn't put any guardrails in my life. I don't need guard. I'm free in Christ. I don't need to like put guardrails on my phone or with relationships. I'm just pursuing Jesus. And I don't know, I just like holiness just started to wrap me up like a blanket. <laughs> Nothing else works like that in life. Pursue God's design in sex by pursuing a mate. Don't act like you don't want one. Pray for that. You don't have to have that. We're gonna talk about singleness in a few weeks. You don't have to have that. That doesn't complete you. But if you sense that desire, don't suppress it. Express it to God. Pray for it. Right? Pursue it. Run after somebody, not in a creepy way. <laughs> uh, don't expect them just to run next to you and it'd be easy. Like, it's not easy. Single people, it's not easy. Run after somebody who's also running after Jesus. Pursue them, men. Take the lead in this. Ask her out to dinner. I know it's risky. But you jump off, like, mountains and, like, you shoot guns. You do lots of things that are risky. You can ask a girl out to dinner. Amen? Right? Amen. So do it. All right. Glad that's covered. Single people, pursue a spouse. Married people, don't stop pursuing your spouse. Pursuit doesn't stop at the wedding. Pursuit doesn't stop at year one. Pursuit doesn't stop when you have kids. Don't sacrifice marriage for career. Don't sacrifice marriage for kids. If you do that, you will end up sacrificing both. How do you think your kids are going to learn what a godly marriage looks like if your focus is only ever on them to the neglect of your marriage? One of the best ways you can love your kids is to love your spouse, is to date your spouse. Work on friendship with her, with him. Learn him or her. Learn their likes and dislikes. Pursue them just like you did when you were dating. Pursue them. Write them cheesy notes. Make them a mixtape or the, the 2019 version of that, whatever. Like, pursue your spouse. Never stop pursuing your spouse. Make it, I know some of you got kids, I know you got jobs, I know things are busy. Make it a priority to pursue God's design for sex in marriage. Work on friendship, not just sex. Also work on sex. Plan nights away, plan dates, lock the doors if you need to, right? And listen, some of you think like, Tim, that's kind of weird. I mean, schedule sex, lock the, like, you don't have kids. That's why you think that's weird, right? Listen, I'm serious. You have to pursue this. You don't stumble into a great sex life and marriage. You don't protect your marriage as Paul is talking about by just thinking, okay, it'll happen one day. No, Paul's saying, hey, you make sure this happens. If you take a time out, it's because you're devoted to prayer, but then you hop right back in. You may have to schedule at married couples. You may need to trim your schedule. You may need to, that's your homework today. Work on friendship and work on sex with my spouse as I pursue him or her. So our culture wars against this. It's not gonna be easy. You have to pursue it. By the grace of God, by the spirit of God, some of you need to make a decision today. Hey, there are some things I need to flee, person, places, and things, and you know what they are. There are some things I need to flee that are distortions of sex, but there are also some amazing things I need to pursue, and you need to start that today. Listen, some of you today, you need to realize that your spouse is not your savior. Right? Some of you right now, you can't, I can't make date, you can't talk about this honestly, like we can't, 
we got so much baggage, Tim. We got so much past. Here's the beautiful thing. Your spouse is not your savior. Jesus is. And he loves you more than any other person ever could. And so here's how we're going to close today. I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet. Would you do that with me? Would you rise to your feet? Because Jesus is our Savior and not our spouse. Because Jesus is our Savior, he's going to fulfill us even when another person fails us. Because Jesus sought you out in the midst of your sin, he's not surprised by even your sexual sin. He died for it on the cross, past, present, and future. He rose again, listen, in victory over your sexual sin. And because Jesus did that, listen, you can confess that sin, you can be forgiven of that sin, and you can pursue God's design in sex. You can also take a deep breath. So we're going to do that together. Right now, on the count of three, one, two, three, take a deep breath. <sighs> yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these men and women. I pray just even now, as they stand here today, that they would recognize they're loved by you in the midst of their imperfect selves, in the midst of their imperfect sexuality. That right now, if they have trusted in you, you don't see their sexual sin. You see the sinless son of God. And if they would just come to you, take a deep breath and surrender their sexuality to a good God. God, I just pray for our marriages in this church. I pray that, that, that we would just know, like, our, our spouse is not our savior. Have they let us down in this area? Absolutely. But the beauty is they are not our savior. You are, and you love us, and you love sex, and you love marriage, and you want us to reconcile, and you want us to be, have joy-filled, glorifying marriages. And God, I pray that we would begin today to start working on that, start pursuing that. God, I pray for the single people in our room who just feel like, man, this is impossible for me. God, I pray that you would give them discipline and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray that you would give them something to pursue, a design to pursue, and not be ashamed of that, to lock arms with other people. God, I pray for all of us in this room. We would not do this alone. And God, I pray for some people in this room who feel heavy right now. You would exchange that heaviness for a garment of praise. Some people in this room with their sexuality feel like, man, mine's ashes. It's dead. It's too far gone. You would take those ashes, and the scripture says, you would make them beautiful. God, that you have a, a great design for sex and sexuality. May we take a deep breath this morning and trust you and follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen.